Got a look. Okay. Afternoon. Welcome to the lunch session on the third day of Modex 2020. Thank you all for coming. My name's Brian Jensen. Um, hopefully, you know you're here to talk about new commerce, which is the phrase we've coined around e-commerce. And it touches more than just the physical distribution of the product to the customers. It touches how it's distributed, what it does to the buildings that are distributing it, where those buildings want to be, and what impacts it's had to real estate. We'll go through a little bit of background, why listen to me. Hopefully you'll feel comfortable at the end of the session that you should have been. We'll go through some terms and definitions to get consistency, because nothing is more consistent in the material handling industry than the inconsistency of how they use buzzwords. And they love to use buzzwords in this industry. We'll talk about network and facility strategies, outside the four walls, inside the four walls, what design criteria is being used in the face of e-commerce differentiation and distribution, and what new commerce affects equipment and systems, networks, and the buildings themselves. Why listen? These are some of the clients that I and my company have worked with. All these projects are direct-to-consumer or direct-to-consumer and brick-and-mortar, i.e. multi-channel. But omni-channel, this is that definition part. Omni-channel means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It's a coined phrase, and because it's coined and it's relatively new, it will acquire lots of different meanings prior to it settling down on one distinct agreed to meaning. Omni-channel for the purpose of the discussion here, I'm not here to argue what the right definition or wrong definition is, just wanna make sure that you get the definition that I'm talking about when I say it, so that we're talking the same language. Single channel, the way things were when I was a kid. You go to a store, you buy something at the store, you go home, you're done. Operative word there is you go to the store, and then you go home. The reality in multi-channel. Well, you've got an e-commerce presence, you've got a brick and mortar presence, you've got returns, you might even still have a catalog. You might be LL Bean. Today, LL Bean, catalog stores, online orders. And that doesn't even include the confusion you get when you add in things like HSN and QVC, where you can also watch the television and place an order in another channel. And the customer sees all those channels and they don't feel consistent. There are different products available, different items you can get from one, different means of interfacing. It just doesn't feel like the same brand, although you may know cognizantly it is. Cross-channel is when you start to squish those together. Best Buy's done a good job of this. You go out to Best Buy's website, you pull it up, you want an item, it tells you what store that item's available in based on your zip code. Very few retailers give you that option. Home Depot started to do it, Lowe's is starting to do it. You go to a store, they don't have it in stock. They'll tell you what other store you can get at or they will order it for you right there and have it delivered to your home. Or when you're online, you can order it at the store but tell, actually order it, not just go and buy it, order it so when you walk in, you just say, I want my overpriced router. And they bring it up to you and they hand it to you and you pay for it right there. So that's where the the channels and the brands start to come together. They start to feel all the same, whether you're ordering online, whether you're ordering on, on the store floor, or whether you're ordering on a laptop or on your phone. The vision 
is that you don't experience a channel anymore. You're ignorant of it. These just become all the means by which I can buy from Sears. Bad example. But it's more about the brand, whether you're on your phone, you're on your laptop, you're at the store, or you're making a return. That wasn't even in this graphic at the time. Now returns have been added to the omni-channel mix. I bought it online, I can return it to the store. I bought it at the store, I can ship it back online. I bought it online, they shipped it from California, I'm shipping it back to a return center in Des Moines, Iowa. It's all for the best logistics experience, both in terms of cost to the provider, the retailer, the e-tailer, and in the experience of the customer. So that's omni-channel. Okay, so then what do we mean by multi-channel when we're here? What we mean by multi-channel is there are several types of network configurations that can service direct-to-consumer customers. You can have a pure e-tailer. I only have an online presence. I only ship product online. Amazon, before they opened those experimental um, media traps called stores so that they could get some publicity. Dedicated centers. I have a center that ships to my stores. I have centers that ship e-com. Walmart's a great example. Mix centers. I have one center that ships e-commerce and ships to my stores. Same building. May not be the same process, but same building. And then you can have a hybrid across a network of multiple buildings. You might have some single-use buildings, some multi-channel buildings, some dedicated buildings. Oh yeah, you might also ship from your stores themselves. Especially if you're trying to get rid of dregs of inventory or somebody ordered those size 16 pink Air Jordans and they are only in your store in Omaha. Well, do you want to tell the customer they can't have them, or do you want to get them out of that store in Omaha and ship them direct? So there are lots of reasons to do store distributed as well. The network type, distinct from the function of the building, runs the gambit from single, one building, combo center, dedicated center, store distributed, hybrid, to multiple locations. And you don't have to read those, they're all the same. Because in any location, you can have any one of those options. If there are stores and you're distributing from 800, 8,000 stores, you might have thousands of diamonds on here. Little thought, everybody's worried about, how's Amazon gonna get me my product on the same day? How are they gonna put that inventory everywhere? How about Walmart already has the inventory everywhere? All they gotta do is figure out how to ship it from their stores effectively, which they will. Dedicated centers might look like this. E-commerce center in the center of the country, two brick and mortar store servicing centers on either end. You see the discrete colors, never the twain shall meet, but you also see that the e-commerce center is shipping product from the middle of the country all the way to the west coast, bypassing a much closer facility, likewise on the east coast. Multi-channel centers. Well, maybe I only can get away with two buildings and I'm closer to most of my customers. This, however, has certain challenges inside the building that we'll talk about later and there might be legitimate reasons not to do it. Why doesn't Walmart have multi-channel centers, as a matter of course? Well, when they started e-commerce, all their brick-and-mortar centers were full doing brick-and-mortar servicing. So they would have had to consciously expand those centers in order to service e-commerce there, or reconfigure those centers so they could pick e-commerce effectively. Because in Walmart's case, it's not the same unit of measure they're shipping to the stores as they're shipping to Brian Jensen when he makes an order. Facility trends within that domain. Prior to the internet, it was all dedicated centers. You had some catalog fulfillment, yeah, but they were mostly single channel centers, except for wholesale resale hybrids. You could call those multi-channels, probably the earliest multi-channel buildings around. From 1999 
to the 2000s and consistently growing as the internet demand grew and more people wanted some stuff shipped home, multi-channel centers were added because it was the quickest, easiest way to do it. Direct-to-consumer volume was small. I could do it as an aside over there in the last aisle. And the post office came and picked it up and got to you in two weeks. Today, the volume wedged out those facilities. They no longer could serve as multi-channels. Some jumped to single channels. Others put in multiple multi-channel facilities. But the goal here is e-com is becoming more and more of the effort and cost inside of retail distribution centers than brick and mortar. Not necessarily because the volume's higher, because those who follow the trends know, ah, I think it's 11 to 14%, depends on who you read and believe, of sales are e-commerce driven. And that also includes automobile sales, which, well, maybe some folks will buy a car and have it delivered to their house, but that's certainly not common yet. Once you take those out, the percentage goes up. But the work content in e-commerce is so much higher than re retail. Pick a case, send it to the store. E-com, open that case, take the item out, repackage that item, ship it. I got to do that 12 times to get through that case of a dozen. If I was sending it to my store, I just pick the case up, put it on my conveyor, send it down the sorter, I'm done. So the labor content for e-commerce is probably, and I don't have any hard statistics on this, but it's probably more than half of the distribution labor for all of retail. Especially if you take out things like grocery, because a lot of the grocery e-com is actually done in the store. The stores got smart, they figured it out, the inventory is close to the customer, ship it from there. You also have to worry about what you're selling when you think about your building design. If you're selling apparel versus hard lines versus something that can't be sorted because it's four feet by five feet by six feet, it's furniture, that will drive your facility design. Different types of equipment for different functions. But then you have to look at what unit of measure you're selling in and how many items you stock. Do you have a few items or a lot of items? Are you moving pallet quantities in and pallet and case out? Or are you moving case and piece out? Or are you moving just piece out? And I don't mean have a good day, but you should have a good day anyway, regardless of what I mean. This higher skew count, direct to consumer operation, generally it's cases or pallets in, pieces out, and highest work content. Very easy to do, much more difficult. How do you figure that out? Well, you've probably heard the buzzword big data. Big data is a euphemism for do your homework, get your history. Take the information out of the systems you have, pull it out, and then analyze it. And these steps should not be equivalent. There's no way they are the same amount of time. This and this take up a majority of the amount of time, especially the analysis. When we do a facility analysis for design, we look for a minimum of a year's worth of history at the line item order level. Every order line shipped that year. We look for a year's worth of inventory history, at least month-end snapshots, and a year's worth of inbound history at inbound receiving line level. And then we take all those gazintas and gazatas and the inventory milestones, and we create a daily inventory level because that's what happens in your building on a day-to-day -day basis. Inventory on each item will go up and down in accordance with what the gazintas, the receipts, and the gazatas are for that day. And understanding that true movement is how you can best make use of all the sexy toys you see out on the floor here. Robot, do I use a robot, do I use a sorter, do I use this system, do I put, do I do a put wall, do I do a pick system? And everyone out there will say, my system will help you. And they're all right. But one system or a couple of different systems are best for you based on your order profile. I don't go, I go to buy pants, I don't go and say, how good are those 29s by 34s? Because they won't fit here and they'll be dragging on the ground. I go out and I say, I need a 34-32. 
you buy it to suit your needs. And there are a lot of companies that make 34 by 32 pants. That's where I have my choices. Same principle with what you need to develop your design building, but that's determined by what your building is, and it's the data that does the work. And after you figure it out, make sure you're looking at it every year because life changes and your design requirements will change. You do that through detailed order analysis. Look at all these exciting categories, which I will now walk through one at a time so that you have a complete understanding. No, I'm not going to do that. But you can see line type, lines that are made up of cases or pieces or pallets. You can see order type. This particular data set, most of the volume was lines with pallets only, 16,000 lines with pallets only, more than three times just about any other. This was not an e-commerce data set, I can tell just by looking at it. This was probably a CPG data set for Unilever or Record or Benckiser or somebody like that, where they're shipping pallets to distributors and to retail store outlets. You look at order commonality. What gets picked together? I sell peanut butter, I sell jelly. Guess what? They're probably going to get ordered together. I sell this nut and this bolt, that they happen to go together. They're going to get ordered together, place them together. These are intelligent decisions that are made from analytics. Most importantly, your growth considerations. Understand your order line and units growth because they may not be the same. And that will change the complexion of the equipment or the systems you want to use. So what does it mean to the systems inside the building? The progression for e-commerce fulfillment, well, discrete order pick when you're at a low volume and low complexity. Discrete order pick is you go and you pick. What you do at the grocery store is discrete order pick. You go and assemble your order for the week. Order cluster picking. If you take all your neighbor's orders at the grocery store and as you walk through the aisles, pick it for all of them, you still spend about the same amount of time, three times the money, but you get three orders assembled rather than one. That's a simple batch pick. Bringing the product to the picker. Go out here and look at any of the ASRS systems that will deliver the stuff to the picker so I can stand here and put it to whatever cartons I want. We'll now take that same process, give me 20 orders, and let me put it to a put wall behind me so I can do 20 orders at once. And if of those 20 orders, I can cluster the 20 orders that need the same item. The ASRS only delivers me one tote. I get more throughput in my ASRS. I buy less ASRS, I'm more profitable. And then finally, multiple waves and batch pick that don't have any hard stops and starts. Same process maximizing the delivery. If when they present one tote to a picker, he or she can fulfill as many orders as possible out of it because you batched orders that have a like demand together, you diminish the amount you have to spend on your ASRS. The same principle can be applied to manual picking and you'll diminish the amount of pickers you need and cut your labor costs. Picker to product type batches, well, here's some things that will help you do it. You'll see some of these out here. They don't like to show a lot of these because these aren't really sexy. And oh, by the way, this is what they look like in the warehouse. They look really good out here on the floor of the trade of the show center, but once you get them in the warehouse, they get dinged, they get beat up, they start looking like actual tools you use to do something. So you've got everything from you know, a cart with just some totes on it for six orders, to putting something on a pallet jack so you can get around faster, to something that has a lot more orders on it, it's 24 orders on one cart, to something that not only gets you 24 orders, but has a little put to light system so when you stop at a location and you scan it, it lights up two for here, one for here, and you go on your merry way. They can get very large. The larger the batch, the better they are, but weight's a problem, so you get these minimalist designs so they can be super late and be almost nothing but product weight. The next step up in technology, zone divert, pick and pass. Conveyor systems send boxes to receive order items into one zone. I'm standing in a zone, box comes in, do my pick, push the box out. Next box comes in, do my next pick, push it out. 
that box circulates past all the pick faces and eventually gets all of its order quantity, gets folded over, sealed, and shipped. And then finally, product to picker, what you see most of out here. And there's a variety of flavors, but understand they all do the same thing. They all take the walking out of picking. The one thing that you have to be careful that they don't replace it with is waiting. Because if there isn't a tote or a carton or a, a bin presented to the picker at all times, that picker's waiting, he or she could have just as easily been walking from site to site, and you wouldn't have had to pay all the money for the sexy device that moves things around. If you pick everything in batch and you want to sort it out, you don't want to do it manually like the post office, you can use a unit sorter. These are sorters that are designed to take individual unpacked units, create orders at the end of the chutes or the other terminus points. And then finally, you can hybridize it, send everything for all these 40 orders down one chute, and do a manual sort at the end. The reason this is valuable is if I have 1,000 diverts, I can pick 1,000 orders at a time. If I have 1,000 diverts going to 40 different subsort stations, I can pick 40,000 orders at a time. Remember that one to three grocery market example? You do one third of the time? Well, if I go from one to 40, I've just saved about 39 40ths of my walk time. And walk time is about 50% of your pick time, and therefore you've saved almost all of your walk time without buying an ASRS. So batches save time and money. The building designs themselves have gotten a little bit creative to use space that was never used before. Conventional building design, shipping and receiving on the ground levels. Everybody been in a warehouse before? Walk into a warehouse, you're on the receiving dock, you look up, what do you see? Ceiling and a lot of wasted cube, just like you see here. We're only using eight feet. Well, maybe 12 with a big giant screen so you can see this in all its glory. Well, you got space above it. Put packing stations to pack and seal before they go outbound and put the shipping sorter above with diverts down to the floor. Pretty common. This is a little uncommon. This was being done in retail centers. And then on top of that, put pick-to-light stations, pack stations, put small, units, small unit picking requirements. Here's my slow movers all in bin shelves. Without expanding my warehouse one foot, I just put four functional processes directly above them. I did have to spend money on mezzanine. Mezzanine is not free, but it's about half the price of a new building by square foot. One thing to remember if you're dealing with a high level of e-com business in your building, you're gonna to have to design it for peak. This happens to be product where my average is somewhere around eh, 200,000 units per day. My peak is 700,000. And if I wanna have a 24-hour level of service, I need to put equipment in to handle 700,000 units in one day. But I only have to do that one, two days a year. So I bought all this equipment and 300,000 is my average, I'll be generous, call 350,000, makes the math easy. I gotta buy twice the equipment for two days. Well, if I go to a 48 hour level of service, it drops it right down to 350. So you have to make a business decision. Do you want that 24 hour level of service and twice the capital expenditure, or cut your capital expenditure in half and have 48 hours of service, but only during these time periods, four, day, four dates there and, and four dates there. So eight days a year, your service level goes to two days instead of one. The rest of the year, you're fine, you're golden. I can't tell you if it's that valuable. You have to tell me what sales you'll lose, and then you make the informed decision. So the goal with technology is don't spend it all on the technology. Don't throw asses and elbows at it only. Blend it. You remember that? One to 40? Well, you don't have to have those 40 put stations active all year. If volume's light, 
a 1,000 order batch may be fine because you don't need as many people. When you get into your peak season, you turn on the secondary put. Yes, you staff those put stations with more people, but you cut your picking labor by, what did we figure out? Uh, 39 40ths of 50%. So you don't have to increase your pick labor as much. For a unit sorter, one sorter for 10 months, an active put walls in peak season. If you have an ASRS, cranes based on the single day, and then use a two-pass put wall in season. And if it's manual, a cart pick to a put wall out of season, but use two put walls in season. A 10-way with 10 orders in each can actually feed a 1,000 position put wall. So there are ways to take care of the peak without having to double capital investment or people. Warehouse management systems inside facilities, warehouse control systems. It used to be that the only difference was warehouse control didn't do a lot of inventory management. It used to be they were all on big heavy PLCs, now they're on PCs. But now, warehouse control systems are managing inventory. They're starting to act like WMSs. When you select your equipment, understand what your equipment's control will do and make sure your WMS covers anything it does not. Don't just buy a WCS and a WMS and realize, oh wow, nothing's managing inventory inside my ASRS. So what's happening with logistics networks? Well, this should look familiar. You see that multi-channel center? One of the problems with that is, what if I ordered something and it's in the wrong building? Well, it might be cheaper just to ship it from the wrong building on the one, two, or three times that happens, or you can create a transfer shuttle between buildings to rebalance inventory constantly. It's your decision to make, but those are one of the weaknesses of a combo center in multiple locations. You've split your inventory up. The strengths, your transportation is much lower. Your cost to serve your customer is much lower. This is an example of a multi-channel concept building. E-commerce here. This is the retail sorter. Retail business is this side of the building. This is the put system for the retail center as well. So all your e-com happens here. All your retail putting for stores happens here. And then it all goes over and gets on the same shipping sorter. So you can see how it's different processes, but they're merged together where possible. Dedicated centers. If I have a true dedicated center, stores and online customers are service from dedicated systems for each channel, I have the dilemma of having to ship out of scope. I have direct consumer, but I have an out of service area direct consumer. I may still have to service them east coast from west coast. Having it dedicated doesn't take away the dilemma of having the inventory in the wrong place. It's still one of the same problems. Dedicated center. This happens to be an example of a high velocity manual put system. These are all put stations. It's just a gross sorter down to the, the putters down in the lower half of that screen. And then here's one that looks really pretty. Pragmatic dedicated centers. The reason I say pragmatic, transportation is cut down by proximity, not by negotiation, not by zone skipping, not by having big volume in one place. This is Office Max, Office Depot, and Staples. This is how they did it long before anybody was worried about zone skipping or anything like that. They put the center close to the customer. Some of these centers are 100,000 square feet, but they serve the purpose of having the product close to the customer. Because remember, Staples was one of the first companies to say, if you order it by three and you don't get it tomorrow, it's free. So there was significant money to be had there. This happens to be one of those smaller centers. You can see, small dock, not a huge footprint, mostly pick modules for full case, and for broken case. 
And then here's the ugliest network I've ever seen. It has dedicated store servicing centers. These are distribution centers servicing stores. The yellow dots are store locations. The red lines are direct to consumer. So they're shipping product out and shipping it out from the store only. This works very well if your volume is low. When volume gets high, store resources are generally not the best, nor do they have the equipment to best service e-commerce. You could put the equipment in every store, but why put it in 60, 70, 100, 3,000 stores when you could collect it in one center and get economies of scale? Now's the really ugly one. I got that store center servicing, and I just stuck a direct-to-consumer center right in the middle of the country. But now I have my store servicing direct-to-consumer, and I'm not happy because my stores are screwing it up, and I'm a high-end retailer. And the store, I'm in the store. I'm going to ship it to somebody I'm never going to meet. I have two items that are exactly the same. One looks like crap. One's a mess. The other one's pristine. Which one you think I'm shipping to that e-commerce customer, and which one you think I'm keeping on my sales floor? That's right, the lousy one. So what this company did is they had the stores pick the orders, ship them back to the DC, and then the DC made sure they weren't too shop-worn, they were of acceptable quality and accurate, and then shipped it to the store. It was not the most cost-effective methodology they could have chosen. It was a customer service decision. As you might imagine, it's a high-end luxury retailer that does this because they got lots of margin to spend and spare in that item. So what does that mean to the building that you're going to stick this equipment in? Well, e-commerce has driven its most dramatic change, and I hate the guys out here don't want to hear this, not in the equipment you see here. Because ASRS has been around since I started in industry 37 years ago. Mini load systems, there's just new flavors of the same thing to get better throughput and make them more flexible. And that's cool. That's really good. Or I'm having a robot bring it forward rather than a shuttle. I don't care as long as it comes. But the buildings in in the industrial real estate market, because you're buying something online, I don't need that sales floor square footage in a store, I need a square foot of warehouse space, relatively speaking. So the demand for warehouse space has skyrocketed. And for a lot of distribution assets, and by that I mean old buildings, it's back to the future, everything old is new again. In light of new commerce, what do you think this is? It's a very attractive piece of real estate, isn't it? Makes you say, I'd like to put my operation there, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. If you, and I, I really couldn't capture the hell this looked like while standing there with the different colored trash water draining past and all kinds of fun stuff. It looks like a back lot for the old Warriors movie, but it's not. Could be something in Chernobyl, maybe, where nobody's allowed to go anymore, but it's not. That was a seven-story distribution center that went from being worth $2.50 a square foot to being leased for over $25 a square foot, simply because it was right about there. And for those who are, are geographically challenged or weren't born in the New York City area, that's Manhattan Island, that's Queens, and that's Brooklyn. So it was an old industrial piece of real estate no one had any use for. They were trying to gentrify it for years. Finally, somebody wanted a last-mile delivery center. Boom, the place was worth 10 times what anybody thought it was five years earlier. And that's the biggest change in real estate. Real estate asset value has gone up. Vacancy rates have almost never been lower. Absorption rates have almost never been higher. And it'll probably slow down as we work through the economic bump that the coronavirus is going to cause the first half, maybe even the whole year. But this doesn't see any signs of reversing from a real estate perspective. 
So just to recap, outside the four walls, the logistical options, where you put your facilities, they get driven by what supply chain you're trying to service. And what supply chain you're trying to service drives what's available to service inside your four walls, the facility, the equipment, the systems, the process options, what you capital invest in. And the need for those building locations and the acceptance of the configurations of those walls in urban locations supporting same-day delivery with unconventional configurations, which is all driven by suppliers and customers, where they are, where your supplier is, where your customer is, and that's the alpha and omega of supply chain. It's the first and the last. It's also the alpha and omega of new commerce. Thank you very much for your time. If you have any questions, I've given you back about 10 minutes of your life, or your day, at the very least, but I'm more than happy to take any questions you might have. Yeah. About the what? Micro-fulfillment. Micro That's the next step down from last mile. That's, and that one of the way a micro-fulfillment center might take advantage of certain real estate assets. A lot of brick and mortar stores are going out of business. A lot of malls are going out of business. If the mall has enough freight capability, meaning truck doors, that's going to be a micro location because they'll clear out space and they'll make use of it. The dilemma with micro fulfillment centers is what do I put there? Because by definition, a micro fulfillment center can't hold much inventory. So if you're a narrow bandwidth company, you have, all exaggerate, you have 12 items and that's your whole business, micro-fulfillment center, great. If you've got a million items, like a Nordstrom circulating through with fashion changes every year, and you want to service a million items in 12 months, that's going to be rough to do in a micro-fulfillment center. Yeah. <coughs> Correct. And that's why that one facility, the example I gave, it was seven stories. Every story's clear height was only 12 feet because they didn't need any one deep space. They were storing product that was readily accessible, not reserve stock on pallets. You can. There are a couple of companies who are developing automation more designed for store back rooms. Because like I mentioned before, I wasn't kidding, Walmart has inventory closer to every customer on, the, on this, this continent than any other entity, period. They just got to crack the nut on how to best pick it and get it to the customer from their stores. And, and they'll... You know, they will put a huge kink in Amazon's ability to market more product through same-day delivery. Because anybody who's really worked with Amazon same-day delivery, you go out online, you try and order something same day, well, not that. Oh, not that. You know, my, my didn't use it in this presentation, but my standing joke for same-day delivery is, same-day delivery will be available to everyone everywhere when I can get a Stradivarius violin in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan on the same day. And that's never gonna happen because supply and demand doesn't make it profitable to do that. Yeah. Any other questions? Thank you very much.